This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our September 17th 2018 edition of Invest Talk, and I thank you all for joining us on this Monday. And I know to some of us it's hard to believe, but we're already halfway through the month of September, a little bit more than that. And many voices have been issuing warnings of eventual market pullback, and today we actually saw some evidence of that, uh, that we're finally starting to kick that off. Uh, starting to break some some trend lines from April until kind of uh, the middle of last month. And it'll be interesting to see how far it goes. Uh, so we're going to talk about that and anything else that's on your mind today. I'm Justin Klein. If you are an investor de- dedicated to growing and protecting your money, you have come to the right place. Now, Best Talk is the radio program and podcast that is run by you and your concerns, your questions, your topics. You can go to investtalk.com, the website as well, and you can get a lot more information that can help you grow your money. And whether you're concerned about uh, being able to save enough, being able to retire, just being able to grow your assets at a reasonable rate, we're here to hopefully provide unbiased and common sense guidance. That's our goal. And to be a successful investor over time, this is the sort of information that can be a great value to you. Now, there was a story that this morning at marketwatch.com that in the opinion of one expert is forecasting a new high point in the S&P. And here's a quote. Years ago, we set our target for the market to take us to 3,000 and higher on the S&P 500, and we are ever so close right now. But he said, the question is, which we have been grappling, grappling with over the last few weeks, is that what path the market is going to take us to get there? So we've been focusing on this for a while, both Steve and I, is an interesting, and it's an interesting time for investors. You know, not only, even if we get to, we were very close to 3,000, do you have to get there? You don't necessarily have to get there. But it's certain we're certainly near some sort of, I think, longer-term inflection point in the market. Now today, less people are buying houses. According to Fannie Mae, the world's fifth largest financial services company by revenue, and obviously a U.S. government-sponsored enterprise, a mere 24% of Americans feel like now is a good time to buy a house. And there are some trends that could be influencing this behavior, and confidence, and I'll explain a little bit about that coming up in a few minutes. Before we jump into that story, I want to honor our Invest Talk tradition and take a question from a caller, because our goal and our job each and every weekday is to take those calls, and here's one that came in earlier on our Anytime Listener Line at 888 chart Hi, my name is Kathleen. I'm calling from Indiana. I have a question about PayPal. I'm just wondering what you guys think of it and what would be a good price if you think it's good to get into. Thank you. I'll listen on the podcast. All right, she's looking at PayPal. Uh, this is the online 
payment transaction company. Uh, I think everyone knows it used to be part of eBay, spun off, and it's certainly grown throughout the years. And Venmo is their recent product that they come out with over the last few years has become more and more popular. And their revenues and their earnings have been steadily growing. Uh, earnings are up 20 are supposed to be up 23% this year from $1.90 to 234 a share. Uh, revenue up 23% year over year last quarter. No dividend. Uh, market cap of $105 billion. So it's a, no longer a startup or a young company. It's a $100 billion company. So it, it's certainly a name that uh, has come a long way and a valuation that com has come a long way. Uh, it, it looked like it, I didn't realize it went, okay, okay it spun off, I guess, back in 2015. Uh, around $30 and change. Now we're at $88.68 uh, at the close today. This is a growth name. There's no way you can really describe it as anything else. It, it's been steady grower and it's it has a valuation to back that up. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA of 30, too high for my blood. I need that to at least be around uh, in the teens somewhere uh, to be excited about the name. Like I said, no dividend. Return on invested capital, 12% solid, but not exceptional. Return on equity, 13% solid, not exceptional. No debt. I like that about the company. Operating earnings yield of 2.5%, not exciting either. Uh, so to me, this is in the, the a good company, but the wrong place at the wrong time. It, it, you've missed the move. It's doubled in the past year or so. It's... One, it's going to be caught up with a downdraft in the tech stocks, which I think is just starting. So it's an 88 today. If this can get back in, I probably wouldn't touch this till 60, to be frank. Uh, and that's where it would get into a valuation point where it makes a little more sense. Where online payments are going, it's certainly a place that is very fluid. You have the likes of the large banks that have launched Zelle, a competitor to Venmo. How they've been able to monetize Venmo is going to be very interesting as well. And it's a very fluid space, and I could see growth being hit. And it's already slowing down. Revenue Earnings are going 31% uh, in September, a third quarter of last year. Last quarter is only 26%. Okay, and even revenue is down a couple of percentage points from just a couple quarters ago. So the growth is either flattening out to declining a little bit, and that makes me say this name is way too expensive. I need it much, much lower. Like I said, $60, I'd start thinking about it. But don't touch it right now. Now, we found an interesting real estate story at marketwatch.com. Essentially, explains why Americans are losing confidence in the housing market. So let me set up the story. Owning a home was once a time-honored life milestone. Buying real estate was simply what you did as an adult in America, right? It was the American dream, home ownership. It was the ultimate indicator of success and social status. But really, times have changed, and for various reasons. Now, today, less people are buying houses, according to, to Fannie Mae. 24% of Americans believe now is a good time to buy a house, looking back to 2013 when it was 54%. And that was just as the market was kind of coming out of its doldrums from 2008 to 2012. And so the prospect, the, the certainty of prospective homeowners is waning. 
and the housing market is far from a perfect science, but there's some trends that could be influencing homeowners' behavior. One is, obviously, more expensive homes. Prices in many markets are above where they were the, during the last peak, which was obviously a bubble. This is a, a rise that has other factors that, uh, that come into play, mainly low interest rates. So prices are high and people are balking at those high prices once again. Salaries have not kept up and that's what the big problem was last time was salaries are rising at a much faster pace than prices and that's always an issue for any extended period of time. And that goes with really any market when you look at fundamentals. Fundamentals can only diverge from prices for so long. Then generational trends. Baby boomers are retiring, right? What are they doing? They're downsizing typically. Also, individuals or, or the millennial generation wants to work from home more, uh, live in city centers, not travel as much. They don't want big, sprawling homes as much anymore. Okay, And then obviously, interest rates have made the the, the affordability metrics a lot different. So houses are getting more expensive, period. And a recent Zillow.com report found that median home values at around a million dollars in 197 different cities. This year alone saw the addition of 23 more cities to that club. So home prices would be a reasonable outcome of inflation, but only as long as salaries grew proportionally to the housing market, and they have not. According to businessinsider.com, millennials are buying homes at a slower than usual rate. In the past, 25 to 34 year olds was the typical age to start shopping for a home. And millennials are lagging. Why? Because they're not saving enough. Either they're not earning enough money or they are maybe paying off student loans. That could be a big factor and likely is. So it's a complicated story. And if you're an investor concerned about where to put your money, whether that's into buying real estate or maybe a stock acquisition, you'd like to hear some expert guidance, I suggest you reach out to myself or Steve. You can call our Dana Point, California office at KPP Financial at 888-800-557-5461. That's our office number. Or you can get a message through to investtalk.com. We'd be happy to provide you with a no-obligation consultation, whether it's, like I said, real estate or your overall portfolio. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to take our free risk questionnaire at investtalk.com. Steve and I can use the results to assess your risk tolerance and then make sure your portfolio risk level is aligned. That'll help you protect your gains and put you on the right track long-term. Now, our Monday show is off to a good start, and we are taking your questions. Give us a call at 888-99-CHART. The KPP Premium Newsletter packs a lot of market news, process explanations, and even stock ideas into a concise summary every Friday. You can subscribe at investtalk.com, $9 per month, if you subscribe now, you'll beat the coming October price increase. You are listening to Invest Talk. Have you got a question for Justin? He's here, and the lines are open. 888 99 Chart. 
go to Mac in Cabo San Lucas. How you doing, Mac? Very good, thanks. Yeah, I was. You're looking at EOCC. Hello. Yep. You're looking at EOCC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is a Chilean utility company, electric utility company. Engaged in electric generation, transmission, distribution in Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and Peru. So obviously, South American utility yields about 6.1%. Are you after that dividend, or are you just trying to find kind of a deep value here? Yeah, actually, I bought it. Uh, it was going sideways for a while. Uh, obviously, not long enough. I bought it around $20 and a half. And uh, I like the dividend. I was planning on holding it for a year to three years and hoping that it was going to pop up. The uh, earnings per the uh, earnings per share are kind of low historically. Uh, the, uh, it's got a low PE. Uh, the earnings haven't gone down that much. It has eighteen percent. Uh, it has an eighteen. Uh, I'm sorry, my brains. Anyway. Yeah, I was hoping it would pop back up and uh, collect a dividend while I was waiting. Yeah, well, it's certainly gone down a lot since 2015 as the dollar has gotten a lot stronger. Back then, it was trading uh, in the mid-40s, and now we're at 20. So it's uh, down over 50% from those levels. Return equity, 23%. I like that. You're right. Earnings really haven't uh, gone down too much, even though they're projected to go down the next couple of years. A lot of that has to do with the, the stronger dollar when you're translating it. Uh, it's payout ratio is about 68%, so a little on the high side, but not too crazy. The one thing I like is they don't really have much debt. Uh, very little debt for a South American company. 15% operating earnings yield, love that, and enterprise value to EBITDA of 5.5. Uh, I like it because I think the dollar is near a peak, and I think you uh, have a diversification there. I like the utility space, so I'm a fan of EOCC. I'm not even going to try to say the name, but it's a Chilean uh, uh, utility company. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I want to hear from you. Give me a call at 888 99Chart. Thanks for listening to Invest Talk. With each passing day, your portfolio is either performing at its best or perhaps not doing as well as it should. Here's a constructive suggestion. Head over to investtalk.com, read about the many strategic investing programs offered to clients of KPP Financial, and be sure to take the free Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. It's a Monday, Justin's here, the phone lines are open, and he's taking your questions. 888-99-CHART. Now let's go to our main talking point today, and that is about the tech sector as a whole. Now Facebook has been the real driver of the downtrend in the FANG stocks and uh, other, you know, CNBC and Bloomberg have morphed the FANG into getting rid of uh, Facebook because of the drop recently, right? You had that 20% drop in uh, a day on earnings, and then uh, it really hasn't gained its mojo. It's stayed on a downtrend, and it fell 3% on Thursday, and it quarter-to-date loss totals 16%, and that's the 
biggest loss that it's seen since 2012. And technically, we are starting to see that finally the breakdown of tech stocks. Uh, you're seeing weakness in the likes of Apple. Amazon had a pretty weak day today as well, down a few percentage points. And value is doing much better. You know, we're value-focused managers, to be frank. So certainly we have some sort of a bias, I guess, because uh, we focus on numbers instead of stories. Uh, we don't apologize for it, but that's just the way it is. Um, so we had a good day, but a lot of tech stocks and growth stocks did not. And Facebook has lost, uh, as of Thursday, lost about 8.5% in just one week. As Sheryl Sandberg, the COO, testified in front of Congress. And I think there's much more downside for Facebook and the tech industry in general. And there's multiple reasons for this. Obviously, valuations are extremely stretched for many of the names. Okay, uh, Apple is one we, we continue to own and have owned for a while. But I think their biggest issue is innovation. I was not impressed with this recent announcement with the iPhone, bigger screens, a little bit bigger, better camera, faster processor, there wasn't a whole lot to love, to be honest with you, and I think that's an issue, and indications are showing that the new iPhone isn't selling all that hot, even my girlfriend, she has an iPhone 10, she likes my 8 Plus, and wants to downgrade to an 8 Plus, because there's really nothing exciting about the new phones and she doesn't really like the face ID so I'm just not seeing a lot of excitement there as well and Apple is a big player a big driver of the Nasdaq and tech stocks in general so if we have a market pullback it's certainly going to be driven by tech stocks the uptrend from April into middle of last August or last month sorry has broken clearly on the NASDAQ. And the big question is, how far does it go? That's really the question. And in a little bit, I'm going to get to a factor. Uh, well, well, one big factor, I'll, I'll tell you, is obviously central banks globally and the Fed in general reducing liquidity. And they've been increasing their QT, quantitative tightening, every quarter. Well, guess what? October is starting a new quarter. They're going, I believe it's from $40 billion a month in reducing their balance sheet to $50 billion a month. So another step forward, as well as they're likely going to raise rates next week. Is it next week or this week? This month, I know that. Now, I'm going to get to it a little bit. Another factor that is going to likely make October even more volatile, and it's something you probably aren't thinking about and you don't really understand or know about because there's four of these periods every year. And October is one of them. So I'm going to get to what those are in just a little bit. I also want to get to another market trend. Uh, and this is more not about individual stock, but a part of the food market. And I think it is something you need to understand because there is an investable aspect to it. And that is the keto craze. I went on the keto diet last, was it last year, the year before last? worked really well for me and it's starting to really hit the mainstream and I'm going to talk about why and what type of companies you need to look for that will likely be able to take advantage of this trend and then lastly 
maybe some causes of the next financial crisis. A uh, great article about four people that predicted the last financial crisis and where they see the next crisis coming from down the road. So that's what's on the agenda today, but let's take a quick look at the overall market because like I said, we had a, had a decent down day in the markets and it was really driven by tech stocks overall. Uh, the NASDAQ, I believe, was down. I'm trying to pull it up. If you're on our YouTube live stream, you'll see I'm pulling up uh, Y charts, which is a great tool that we use uh, to do research. And uh, the the market overall, like I said, was is, is breaking lower. Uh, where will it go? It's hard to know exactly. There will be different support levels and how it reacts to each support level. It will tell you overall strength of the market and whether we the, the pullback has really run its course. The NASDAQ was down 114 points today, 1.43%. So that was really where it was intensified, where the, the sell-off was in the most intense today. The Dow was down 92 points, only 0.35%. S&P down 0.56%. So when you see the NASDAQ down that intensi intensely in a day, it shows you that it was really a risk-off environment on today in today's market. Now tomorrow on Invest Talk, how to avoid paying hidden and costly fees in retirement. We're going to talk about that. Steve will talk about that story tomorrow. Our Invest Talk podcast continues. One of KPP Financial's solutions that help solve today's retirement puzzle is our balanced income portfolio. How do you get the income you need in retirement without the kind of risk that you don't feel comfortable with? That's what this program is all about the balanced income portfolio from KPP Financial. And remember, as with each KPP program, the principles at KPP are invested right along with you. Would you like to know more about it? The balanced income portfolio? You can call 888-99-CHART and follow the prompts, or you can ask Steve about it directly. Just click on the Contact Steve button on investtalk.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. This is Invest Talk. Please make sure you subscribe to the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Then listen, rate, and review. Oh, and here's a save the date reminder. On October 3rd, Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose to conduct personalized, no cost portfolio reviews. Register now at investtalk.com. Okay, you've got finance and investment questions, and Justin will have unbiased answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name's Brendan. I'm a little new to investing, and I've been listening to your podcast. Now I love the advice. I appreciate it. And as a beginner investor, I was listening to one of your episodes, and you started to talk about income-producing assets. Now, as a beginner investor, I'm not really sure what that entails. So if you could divulge into that a little bit and maybe give a couple of examples i would greatly appreciate it thank you guys love the show all right fantastic income producing assets well that is that would be anything that's consistently giving you a payout right there are assets that you buy for price appreciation and that might be a momentum stock uh, uh it might be uh, a growth name uh, something you're looking for up to go up in value 
some people think of that as real estate and if uh, maybe you are flipping a home or you're speculating on an area of the market that's really going to gain traction for a particular reason in the future you might be in it for a price appreciation boost but for most assets uh, especially real estate you're looking for something that if, if you're looking for something that produces income to you meaning uh, rental income could be dividend income it could be interest income from bonds that you own or preferred shares that you own anything that is giving you some sort of stream of cash flow that would be income producing assets and I would say the best thing is to diversify you want to have dividend paying stocks you want to have bonds you want to have real estate and when I'm talking about retirement, when you're when you're living off of this money, you want to be relatively diversified. Hopefully, maybe you have a pension, Social Security, and you have income coming from various sources. Now, some people swear by a particular asset class. They love investing in real estate. They love investing in stocks. They love investing in maybe bonds. I don't know who would do that. Would love that, but for some people, that's their thing. All can work if you execute properly and you know the market environment and you're at least properly diversified. So an income producing asset is just anything that is going to give you some stream of income on a consistent basis. And when I say consistent, that's the most important thing, right? Uh, many people chase after companies that are paying 15, 18, 20% dividend yields. And typically, those are very inconsistent. They go up and down. Sometimes they're even eliminated uh, because of financial constraints within the company. So, when you're looking at dividends, you gotta or, or any income production from an asset, you want to make sure that it is consistent and steady. Now, let's talk a little bit about the blackout period. Do you know what that is? Well. There are four of these periods each and every year, and this is the period in which most companies and corporate insiders are prohibited from repurchasing their own shares in the month before they release quarterly earnings. And this is staggered between different companies because some companies report in October, right, the, the first month of the, the new quarter. Some wait till the second month and very few wait until the last month, right, of the quarter. So typically the, and if you're looking, uh, if you're watching this on our YouTube live stream, you'll see kind of the breakdown here. The biggest months for buybacks are the last quarter, the last, uh, sorry, the middle quarter of the month. That's the quarter where there's the most, or sorry, the month with the most buybacks. Okay, so you're talking about February typically, uh, June, and August. Am I saying that right? Okay, sorry. February, May, and August, and November. There we go, those four. Now, the months where the most companies are blacked out are January, April, July, and October. That's the lowest amount of buybacks. Why? Because they're typically blacked out for earnings that are coming in the next month. 
Now, according to Goldman Sachs, companies spent $384 billion on buybacks in the first half of the year. And that amounts to a 48% increase from the first half of last year. So when people say, oh, tax cuts were great for the middle class, eh, they might have been to some degree. But the vast majority of the tax savings that companies had were not passed on to workers. They were passed on in the form of share buybacks, corporate bonuses, etc. And that's not an opinion. That's just looking at the facts. Okay. Now, since 2000, S&P 500 returns have been comparable in blackout and non-blackout periods. But volatility is one percentage point higher during blackout periods than when majority of firms are free to purchase shares back. Many have believed that the drop, remember the big drop in February was because of many blackout periods and the intensity of the blackout period decline. And that's when the S&P dropped about 10% from peak to trough. Now Vincent Dillegard, who's the global macro strategist at uh, International FC Stone, calculates that stocks were in blackout periods during the worst of that sell-off, uh, that, that were in blackout periods during the worst of that sell-off underperformed the market by 150 basis points, 1.5%, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're aggregating them all together, that's a big difference. So, like I said, January, April, July, and October see the impact the most. And on average, six and a quarter percent of a company's annual repurchase expenditures is done in a blackout month. Six and a quarter compared with nine and a half for non-blackout months. Okay, so it remember, it's not every company is blacked out. It's just a larger percentage of the companies are blacked out during those four months. So we're going into October, and that is a month where, like I said earlier, the Fed is increasing its roll-off of assets from its balance sheet, as well as companies are going to be more restricted in their ability to buy back shares and tech stocks in general the most. Just 10 companies account for 78% of all buyback activity. Get that, 78% of all buyback activity. Apple alone counts for 24%. And Goldman Sachs expects stock repurchases will reach a record $1 trillion this year. And that has been a big driver of the market gains. Buybacks. Companies of excess cash, spending it a little bit on capital expenditures, absolutely. But the majority of that money is going to buyback shares, which is certainly enriching shareholders, enriching management, and typically the wealthy. As most of you know, we encourage our finance and your finance and investing questions live each weekday on Invest Talk during the radio program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. But we also accept your questions round the clock 24-7 on that same number, 888-99 chart. So don't be afraid to call after hours. We will record your call and then play it back on the air later. Now remember, you and your friends can subscribe to our Invest Talk podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review as well. But for now, keep those emails and questions coming. We want to hear from you.
We are taking your calls live at 888-992-4278. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where each Friday, subscribers to the KPP Premium Newsletter receive a concise and highly informative summary of the week's financial and investment news. It's sent directly to their inbox. It really does give you a week that was roundup in a quick read. It also offers a look ahead and various process and term explanations that will be interesting to every investor. So you should be thinking about subscribing. The cost now through September is only $9 per month. And if you act now, you'll stay ahead of the coming October price increase. Remember, you'll get targeted value formatted for fast consumption when you become a KPP Premium Newsletter subscriber at investtalk.com. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. This is Ryan from Jersey City. I had a question about Chesapeake Energy Corp, CHK. Uh, I bought it over a year ago at three seventy-four a share. I bought about 200 shares. And I wanted to see what your opinion on it was with the changing prices. Uh, it seems to be pretty volatile, but uh, I have been reading a few reports that said uh, it's not a great stock to hold right now, that it's pretty overvalued. I am investing for the long term, so it's something that I can afford to hold on to if needed, but just want to see what your opinions were. Thanks again, guys. All right, he's looking at Chesapeake Energy Corporation. CHK is the symbol. This has about a $3.6 billion market cap. No dividend. P ratio is very, very low. Uh, revenues have been on the decline. This is an oil company engaged in the exploration and production of natural gas and crude oil properties. And they expect, let's see, I'm looking at some major news. Their, their earnings are all over the place, and that's one thing I don't like about it. Uh, I like companies that have a little more consistency their earnings. You know, 2015 and 16, they lost money. Uh, this year, they're supposed to make 80 cents a share, 70 cents, 7 cents a share. Next year, they're all over the place, but it's an oil producer. So it, it's at the whims of the market, and it's at the whims of oil prices. Now, the big issue here is it's debt. Its enterprise value is $15 billion, and its market cap is 3.6, meaning they have roughly $12, $11.5 billion in debt, in debt, and their free cash flow is negative $232 million. They're in financial trouble, and they need to turn things around in a much bigger way to dig themselves out. Now, this is something that I would really have to dig in to understand their maturity schedule on their debt, what their operating cash flow situation is, which it's positive, uh, but they're, they're certainly burning capital or burning cash still, even though their earnings are going up uh, from losing money in 2016 to, like I said, making 80 cents a share today. Technically, you know, looks okay. It's it certainly found a bottom from 2016, uh, like you said, a dollar and change. Now we're at four, about $4 a share at the close today. I, I can't really tell you whether this is going to be able to dig itself out of this hole. I really need this, this is a deeper dive. You really need to understand the business, that maturity debt, uh, the maturity schedule, like I said, and whether 
management is doing anything to address this leverage because they have a ton of leverage on their balance sheet and that worries me and their return equity is negative 26%. That worries me. Um, so I would, I would be certainly concerned. High risk name, if they can dig themselves out of this debt and they find a way out, this is a name that's probably going to skyrocket. It's going to go up a lot. But a company that's making $0.80 cents a share this year and still trading at $4 a share with this much debt is telling me the market is saying that debt is not under control. And if, But if they do get under control, this is a name that will really take off and you need to be aware of that and do a deeper dive, something that I can't do right here, right now. Thanks for the call. That was Chesapeake Energy. CHK is the symbol. 8899 chart, 8899 We have about 10 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call us, do it sooner rather than later because we're getting to the end. Let's talk a little bit about the keto craze. It is hitting the mainstream, and if anybody out there doesn't know what that is yet, it's a low-carb, high-fat diet. And what it does is it kicks your body into a state of ketosis. I actually did this Early 2016, I believe it was, I, wa I weighed in at about 100 and, what was it, 192 pounds, I believe it was. I was at about 15.3% body fat, and over 11 weeks, I went down to 10.4% body fat. And I was, I was working out a, a good amount, uh, four, four days a week or so, something like that, and really just not eating any carbs whatsoever. And it really worked for me, and it works for a lot of people. And what it really does is it your body can do two things. It can burn carbs, which it's really easy to do. It, it does that a lot easier and does using fat, which is another way that it can create energy or, or, or use energy uh, to run your daily life. Uh, and it's all, the idea is to get rid of all the carbs, burn all those off, and then your body starts to run off of fat and you lose a lot of weight. Uh, and it works pretty well as long as you can stick with the diet, which is very, very low carb strict. Now there's Whole30 that's pretty popular, that's very similar, and Google Trends charts over the past year, so searches for keto, K-E-T-O, have dwarfed searches for paleo, Whole30, and intermittent fasting. So keto is at the top, okay? And there are companies like Fat Snacks that are coming out with low carb, high fat cookies and uh, and meal replacements. Uh, Dang Foods is another one. So this is a trend in this packaged food space that I think is only going to continue. And not only is this an idea that I think is going to continue to go, because I think it does work for most people. So it's Names like General Mills and Kellogg and all these packaged food companies need to address this and be prepared and understanding this trend because your Cheez-Its and your Oreos are not going to cut it for a keto diet and I think this is only going to continue. So be aware of this craze and adjust your strategies accordingly. Now we have 10 minutes left in the show, so give us a call. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. Next Invest Talk. Many investors focused on compound growth don't realize how much they're paying in fund fees. How to avoid paying hidden and costly fees in retirement. That story tomorrow. But now, Justin's here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888 99 Chart. 
Let's go to Vitaly in Atlanta. You want to talk about the best sectors to invest in during a recession? Yeah, like if there's any sectors that you recommend, uh, maybe like start searching now. I know we can't really predict when the next recession will hit, but I mean, we've been in this bull market for way too long, and I want to be ready and possibly go ahead and invest pretty soon before the recession hits. Yeah. Well, there's two ways to think about it. One is obviously sectors where people are going to continue to spend even if their economic prospects are not that great. And that typically has to do with groceries, uh, packaged food, things that people still need to eat in a recession, right? And then second are utilities, which is a double whammy there. And the double whammy is that bonds, bond prices tend to go up. I mean, interest rates go down, right? And so bond proxies tend to go up, meaning companies that pay dividends and decently high dividends of the most correlation to the bond market, and that would be the utility sector. So if I'm going to pick one sector to invest in during the recession, I would pick utilities. Uh, we are overweight them uh, currently and actually looking for more. So I would certainly be looking right now to pick up some utility names. So how about like, so I was actually looking at utilities and I was looking at Southern Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually own that for some managed accounts, and we're a fan of it. Yeah, it yields about 5.4%. One of the large utilities out there, $45 billion market cap, and they are focused kind of in the southeast, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi. Yep, okay. Gotcha, okay. All right, thanks thanks so much. Anything else? Mm, Bye-bye. No, that'll be it. Thanks, Thanks, Vitaly. Thanks for calling. That was Vitaly, and he was talking about Southern Company, utilities, and I certainly think this is a time where any type of bond proxy, uh, whether it's utilities, it could also be REITs. Uh, now, REITs are not all treated equal. Uh, there are various types of REITs, so I'm thinking REITs and sectors that are anti-cyclical, thinking more healthcare-related maybe, things like that. Uh, would be a better place if you're looking in the REIT space. But in general, as long as the company is sound and the business is sound, they tend to be a good place to be as interest rates fall, which I think will happen once we hit or their market starts to price in the next recession, which I think will happen in 2019. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about what four analysts who kind of predicted the last bear market are saying about what is going to cause the next bear market and I'll tell you which ones I agree with the most and the first one would be Gary Schilling and he is saying that the ultimate thing that brings down the financial markets is excess leverage and he sees that most in the eight trillion dollar denominated emerging market corporate and sovereign debt markets why because when the US dollar rises it becomes a lot more expensive for countries and companies that are bringing in revenue in other currencies to pay back dollars because dollars become more expensive and interest rates are higher and the fund flows go into other areas when interest rates rise. So that's where he sees it. And you've seen a little bit recently of the sell-off in emerging market bonds, emerging market stocks, and that's certainly taken on the chin. Has it created a crisis yet? Definitely not, but it's something to look out for. Next, another analyst says, 
He saw a parabolic run-up in 2016 and 17 in housing-related stocks, and he sees that has peaked recently. And usually they look 12 months down the road or so when it comes to the housing market, and you're starting to see that now, right? Uh, the housing market peaked in the in the the, mar the stock market uh, roughly six months ago, and you're starting to see that effect now in the overall housing market. But he sees the biggest danger in the low-quality corporate debt market, and has gone from 700 billion in 2008 to two and a half times that today, meaning that companies have issued five times as much debt backed by high quality names in 2005 than they are today. So it's flipped. Most of the companies that are issuing debt today are subprime, meaning poor quality debt and poor quality debt on the corporate level. And that is really where I think the next crisis will come from. I think that's it for the day. Time to close up. This Monday, another Invest Talk show with your questions driving the discussion. Today's program will soon be posted to our podcast player library at investtalk.com. Thanks for listening and please come back tomorrow. I'm Justin Klein. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 